0: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I'm joined by Tony Farina. Now, Tony is an assistant professor of humanities at Siena Heights University, which um, is in America, in Michigan, I think, Um, and he also reviews comics and audiobooks in his free time, and One of the reasons I wanted to speak to him is because um, we became friends corresponding over email and things like that uh, due to two mutual friends of ours essentially, Chris and Dave of the Comics in Motion podcast which any of you will know I've been on their show before, they've been on my show, I've played a few promos for them and in fact their promo will be playing in this episode and maybe the next one as well so you know all fun in that uh, sort of department Um, but also Tony is an early adopter of doing online only courses so obviously he's an educator and one of the reasons I wanted to get him on the show was to talk about sort of how things have changed so much you know speaking in a classroom lecturing teaching classes and things compared to doing online courses so that's a lot of what this conversation is going to be about now just in a little bit more detail just a little summary quick is um, what we start talking about is we, t- we talk about Star Wars a little bit in this chat uh, and then we quite quickly move on to sort of education and things so if anyone's listening to this really interested in education and then you know you start hearing talk about Star Wars that doesn't last very long so don't worry about that. Um, after we talk about education just sort of skimming the surface levels we talk about mine and Tony's early years in education our experiences in school and college and uh, things like that um, we then talk about sort of not knowing about one's future career path how I never knew my career path and I still maybe don't even fully but whereas Tony had a much more better idea of what he wanted to be um, we talk about that um, we speak about sort of how America works sort of in colleges and with degrees and things like that um, why Tony believes that education is a very valuable thing um, I don't necessarily disagree with him in this stance but we talk about that in quite an in-depth way um, as well as talking about people you know who should pursue something they're passionate about don't just go into education just being like you know these four things are good for jobs you know one should always try and strive for something that one is passionate about um so we speak about that quite a lot as well uh and we do talk about the online courses being different from lectures and things and then that's kind of where i stop it because uh, this is a great chat but there wasn't a clear place to sort of stop it so i've kind of part two will be continuing the chat so as i'll talk at the end about what's to come in part two and things like that but the conversation does continue straight on Now, before the chat gets started, there'll be a quick promo, as I said slightly earlier, for the Comics in Motion podcast. Um, It's a new promo of theirs. I played one of their old ones quite a while ago. Um, I've been on their show before, they've been on mine, and we're planning on doing future collaborations and things, so it's a good chance to give them another shout-out. It's one of my favourite movie podcasts, Um, you know, they're great, they're a lot of fun to hear talk, you know, it's a bit different to standard movie podcasts where they just purely review the film, they talk about the comics, they talk about loads of other things, like a good amount of sort of still related tangents and things like that, but yeah, I really go check out comics in motion it's an absolutely fantastic podcast and they've also got another podcast out called the vhs strikes back which is a lot more about retro films than just uh, comic book films so they're a bit more open with that sort of thing but yeah i'll be hopefully doing collaborations with them going forward especially with star wars coming out and things uh, so as episode nine coming out and things so you know that all kind of i'll have more details on that later anyway guys you know i really appreciate anyone tuning in uh, liking on all the social media channels sharing spreading via word of mouth all those things are hugely hugely appreciated um and all the links from the description or the show notes or whatever or you can just search for genuine chit chat and you'll be able to find it so um you know thanks as always for listening guys and i'll be back at the end straight after the promo and the chat with tony we are comics in motion i'm dave the comic nerd and i'm chris the tv and movie geek You can download our show from your favourite podcast catcher. We review TV shows and movies that are based on comic books. So if you can come along and join in the fun, that'd be super. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. I am joined today uh, by Tony. Hello, Tony. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. Uh, I thought we'd say, like, uh, how we sort of got, a chat, uh, got chatting and things. It was actually through, uh, as you were saying, like before we started recording, uh, it was the podcast I did with the guys in Comics in Motion, uh, who have one of the best movie podcasts that I've listened to. Uh, they had me on the show, and I did an episode with, f- with Dread, I think. And I think you've been on their show, too. Is that right? Dredd actually didn't
1: come on. I came out after you did. Um, I heard you on there. I've been listening to them for a while. I'm the one who convinced them to do the Speed Racer episode, which is how I got in touch with them in the first place, which they kind of hated, which was fine. <laughs> um, and then, so I had a chat. I, like, emailed Chris and said, explained why I love Speed Racer. And and so we just kind of stayed in touch. And then I heard you on the show. Um, and so then I love what you had to say, so I listened to your show. And then I just kind of mentioned something to them, or mentioned something to you about, hey, I'm a teacher, Wouldn't that be fun? And so it just kind of worked out organically from there. And so I've actually been on their show twice now. We reviewed Mm. um, Tank Girl, which was a crossover episode for their D.H.S. Strikes Back. And then Mm. I just did uh, Pennyworth because um, one of my side gigs that I do for free uh, comic books is I review comic book properties for DC Comics News. And so I've been reviewing Pennyworth. And so they thought that would be, we did the first half of the season. And that was just fun. Those guys are a lot of fun. You're going to go back and do Star Wars, right?
0: That is that is the goal. I mean, it's probably. Good. I'm hoping it's going to be the only time where I'll know more about comics. Um, than it's. I think it's 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 a Chris. It's Chris that knows them more about Dave. comics, isn't it? It's, it's Dave. I. It's when I talk to them, I know exactly who I'm talking to. But when I think of their voice in my head, it's because obviously when Chris says. Chris says Dave, and yes, Dave says Chris. That's right. So it's that we. It's that thing where in my head I'm like, he's. I can hear the word Chris, but I'm hearing it in Dave's voice. Which one? Yeah. But um. Yeah. I will be hopefully doing a Star Wars episode with them at some point, and I read a lot of Star Wars comics because I'm a massive Star Wars nerd. So fingers crossed. I think we spoke about. I mean, I don't want to jinx it, but um, we spoke about potentially doing like a previewy sort of special episode, uh, like predictions of Episode Nine, like a roundup up talking about our episodes, um, like orders of our favourites, and then. Do one like the day or so after uh, episode nine comes out, because so, see, I'll be watching it like the day it comes That'll out. That'll be so. fantastic.
1: I'll I'll be all in on that. Yeah, my earliest memory <laughs> of childhood I'm I'm quite a bit older than you. My um earliest childhood memory is actually I was just about to turn four, or I just yeah I was just about to turn four, and I saw the original Star Wars at the drive-in movie theater with my cousin. Oh wow! Yeah, I was four, he was six. I mean, our parents were there, but uh, that's my earliest memory is the opening the opening crawl and the Fox fanfare coming and us running from the at the, the drive-ins in, in America had playgrounds at the front. And uh, we were playing up there cause it was the seventies. So four and a six year old were just hundreds of yards away from their parents with strangers <laughs> and moving vehicles. And we just took off running and that's the memory is Star Wars started and I ran back to the car. And then I don't, you know, I've seen it so many times we could maybe act it out, but um, <laughs> uh, that was my earliest memory, yeah. Probably. Actually, yeah.
0: Oh, that, that's incredible. I mean, yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, I'm not going to go on a massive Star Wars uh, tangent, because I very easily could. But <laughs> one of the things I, I love the most about it is, one of the reasons, because obviously I, I was talking about the tattoos just before we start recording, is I have a tattoo of Darth Vader, and then below it is Obi-Wan and Anakin fighting. And obviously, it it's... It's like a, a dub. It's a two-meaning thing, which is one of them is obviously I love Star Wars and it's incredible, and it mixes the original trilogy with the prequel trilogy because it's the moment they fight on Mustafar to make uh, Vader. Vader, as we all know and love, hate him. Um, <laughs> and my my dad was you know obviously substantially older than I was, um, but he grew up on Star Wars, uh, the original trilogy, and I grew up on the prequel trilogy, and we bonded heavily over that. And it's like a nice mix of that sort of thing. So I love that even if people don't really like Star Wars that much, it's such a huge thing. It's like everyone at least knows about it. It's, it's, you know, I mean, I'm a nerd and one of the most mainstream things there are, but it's not like, you know, being super into like really obscure off comic books no one's heard of, which is obviously still cool in its own yeah, way, but. for sure.
1: Oh yeah, no, that that is, that's totally true. And I think with the Star Wars stuff, I, I didn't really, I read the original um, Tim Zahn uh, ones that came out, the Heir to the Empire. I read those. Yeah, the Thrawn trilogy. Yeah. I read those before I ever thought six, seven or seven, eight, and nine would get made. Hmm. Um, those were in my mind always seven, eight, and nine, uh, because Zahn kind of worked what I understood, and this was obviously pre-internet, so um, hmm. Zahn worked with Lucasfilm on that and kind of got the go-ahead. So I always felt like that was the story they were gonna tell. I've been pleasantly surprised, obviously, with the with what they've done. But um, so but I because of that, because the movies meant so much to me, I didn't get into the books. Uh, all the other stories there was one which i'm sure you've probably read about um wedge has his has his own book or maybe even a series of books I, that's the only one i've really ever well, been i haven't fascinated. actually no, no i'd be really fascinated in that just because um to read that because he he gets the shaft all through the whole thing so i would love for him to get his time to shine
0: yeah well there's there is um there is a trilogy of books we may be thinking about the talk about the same thing slightly but there's a trilogy of books called the aftermath trilogy um and he's he's in that in the first one quite heavily um i'm currently reading the second one i was is it by timothy Zahn? reading it no no timothy Zahn's new stuff is the, uh, the actual thrawn trilogy is literally called thrawn Oh no
1: no thrawn. these are way oh, this is, was way back in the oh so you're
0: talking about legends time oh yeah i'm talking yeah. before the prequels even came yeah. out i see it's, i see
1: timothy's i thought they were called the heir to the empire maybe um, I think okay.
0: they are. I, I like they. I think they were the first ones to feature Thrawn. So I think it's like now that there's a new Thrawn trilogy, people refer to as yes, the Empire. Got as it. The, that the, makes sense. Yeah, it's one of those things with Star Wars, Quite funny with legends and canon, and anyone who doesn't know about Star Wars is like, "What the hell are they, what talking, about? Are they talking about?" Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But um, anyway, <laughs> moving swiftly off of Star because I will get stuck in a rabbit hole there. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so go back to what sort of your your childhood. Obviously, one of the reasons to uh, kind of spark the conversation between us, and one of the reasons uh, we said about you coming on the show was. You have a very uh, interesting, not only perspective, but also experience in education and things. So before we kind of delve deep into that at this moment, I want to kind of go back and just be like, when you were a kid, what do you, what do you want to do with your, your life? And then also, uh, and then how did it kind of progress and what do you choose for like high school and then college and yeah, kind of like that. Sure.
1: Yeah. Well, um, I grew up on a, I mean, my, my parents were both working class people, but my grandparents had a fruit farm, my mother's parents. And so I spent a lot of time there um, working for free as a youngster and I learned how to work (laughs) and had calluses on my hands. My grandpa was like a hillbilly dirt farmer and he built these ramps, um, that I could walk up so I could like literally lift bushes of apples, you know, that almost weighed as much as me and load the, load the trucks. Uh, so we could take them to the fruit market. I mean, that was my life most summers, most weekends. Um, That was kind of, I didn't want to do that. I mean, my grandpa said pretty early on to me, he's like, well, there's only two things worth doing. You should either be a farmer or you should be a teacher. Um, Being a farmer sucked. I knew that at a pretty young age. So that was always kind of in my head that, well, I'll do that. And uh, I always was a reader. I could read when I was really young. I actually was a whole word reader, which makes me not the best speller. Because my vocab, like I could just see the word I'd read the word. I recognize the word, then I could see it in the next book. So I read a lot, um, always have just kind of been that way, started reading comics to, uh, in middle school. And all of those things like writing and writing comics, and those were always things I wanted to do, anything to do with language. Um, but that teacher thing was just kind of always there um, as something that I think I could do. And oddly enough, it was an assignment that my seventh grade teacher gave me, so I was 12. We were reading Great Expectations. I had already read it, which I was the only 12-year-old who had already read <laughs> Great Expectations. And my class, my they hated it. They were, and I'm not a big Dickens fan, to be fair. Sorry, England uh, national hero. Um, <laughs> it's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, um, he's. I'm not saying he's a bad writer. It's just I feel like he he's written that book a lot. You know, it's hmm. it's but. I did, you know, a great adaptation was fine. But my teacher said to me, she's like, there's no, there's no benefit you're going to get from sitting in your class, in this class, watching your classmates grind their way through this book that they don't want to read and aren't going to read. And she's like, go do something. Do something else with Dickens. So I decided to do A Christmas Carol. Um, and I, re- I like kind of wrote my own 12-year-old version of that play, but set in modern time. And so I wrote a play. And she thought it was clever enough and fun enough that she let me cast it and produce it. And we performed it. And then my friends and I performed it um like for the middle school. So it became like the middle school Christmas play for that year. Oh, wow. And it was actually, I know, it was bizarre. And there's no <laughs> video of that, of course, because this is, you know, way before anybody. I mean, people didn't even have home cam camcorders then, really. I mean, you're talking, I was 12. So this is, you know, mid 80s. Mm. And, um. Uh, and so uh, that was it. And instead of that, it, always, it solidified my want to write. And I've always been writing short stories and comic books and ideas and stuff. But I realized like what she saw in me was something I needed. And as a teacher, instead of saying, this is the curriculum, shut up and do it. She was like, eh, go do this instead. And there was, edu- there was education to it. It was still focused on Dickens. It was still focused on what we were doing. So that was the moment when I realized, oh, I could do that. I could be that person. for. I could figure out what people need and help them get, get to that. So that was pretty much it. So those two things combined made me feel like, well, this is you know, English teachers, the way to go. Um, and then when I went to high school, I, I thought I'd be a high school teacher. But then when I was in high school, I was my school board representative. Like every, I don't know how it is over there. But um, some of our school boards, which are like elected officials who know nothing about education, unfortunately, <laughs> most of the time. So once in a while, you'll get a retired teacher on the school board, but it's usually like somebody using that as a stepstone stone to run for something else, just mm. getting their name on a ballot. But uh, I would go to those board meetings and realize, wow, high school teachers don't have any freedom to do anything. It's like mm. the middle school teachers have more leeway. So I was like, well, I'll just, I'll be a college teacher. I'll do that. Um, and so then I went to college and I just majored in English and I actually double native in English at my university. It's called Albion college. It's this little tiny school in the middle of Michigan Albion. Um, And uh, we were actually called the Britons. That was our mascot. (laughs) They like our band, our marching band dressed up like the Royal guards. Oh wow. Yeah. Which is great in November when there's football games, but in August and September, when it's still sweltering, humid, hot in mid Michigan, (laughs) they're wearing these, you know, six foot tall black hats while they're marching. It's insane. Um, so anyway, so I went there and I double majored in English. Uh, I, I, you know, I took twice as many classes as I was required to. And, um, and I actually got my first teaching gig uh, right after. I graduated college in 95. Uh, and in May of 95, I was 21 at the time. And I got hired to teach my first class that July. Oh, wow. I taught developmental writing at a local community college. And I've never stopped teaching since then.
0: Well, that's incredible. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that I speak to, not only on the podcast, but also just uh, in general. And it's finding what you want to do as a career and as a job and things like that. It's it's such a, especially now, it's such a weird thing because like, you know, pre-internet, it was I suppose, not better, but simpler, I guess. But now it's like, oh, you could, yeah, you can go work in like the local shop, okay? You could literally start a clothing company if you're like 17 and you know how to use Photoshop and you get in touch with, cheap t-shirt manufacturers and you could just kind of do that okay or you can you know if you're like you can be a podcaster as a job which is very unlikely to make money but you can <laughs> still try it but there's all these like startups and like the internet is like oh if you work in a high street store now you may not even have a job in 10 years okay i'll be a driver well driverless cars that may not happen in 50 years and it's like where do i go i am so confused like <laughs> what it is i'm good at what it is i like and what there is available and trying to find some sort of thing that mixes all those things together is just impossible and like but with me as an example you know I've always been very good at maths I mean you're very good at English and things I mean I English is one of the only things it makes you sound like such a dick but it makes as one of the only things I had to try at you know because I was one of those kids in school my dad's super intelligent he was a, a, I'd class him as a genius and so in school, I was I was gifted, you know, I didn't really have to try that hard and I was top of the class a lot of the time. Obviously, the problem is with that is once I got to sort of, you know, teenage years, I became lazy. I was like, I'm smarter than everyone, so I don't have to try. And then I went to <laughs> college, which I think is your guys' high school, and I didn't do that well uh, because I didn't really revise that much and a host of other things. But I, I was like, I did not know what I wanted to do and I wasn't like super genius level. I was just smart and it was like... If you're averagely smart, you have to try hard enough and you can kind of find that motivation. And if you're like super genius, like the world's your oyster. And I was in this weird space was like, I could probably achieve quite high. I can't really be bothered, but I feel like I'm better than anyone in the middle. And this is me, not now, I want to clarify. But right. this is me as a, like a teenager sort of thing uh, or a adu- uh, young teenager. <clears throat> so I didn't know what I wanted to do and asked my dad and things. And he was like, well, you're good at maths and you want money, so accountant. And I was like, yes. So I went to college and I did accounting. And it—I, it's the only class I've ever fallen asleep in. And I've, I didn't even know it was possible to fall asleep in classes. Like genuinely, I thought it was some sort of thing on like, you know, uh, sitcoms or high school, uh, you know, uh, movies and things. And genuinely, I fell asleep. And I remember once uh, I was... I wasn't sleeping that great either, and I wasn't taking care of myself. You know, you're in college, you start drinking, and X, Y, Z. And um, I remember in class once, I, I was I wasn't like fall asleep, head on desk out. It was more like head on my hand, and I kind of blink really long, and I'd miss minutes at a time. <laughs> And I remember once, specifically, uh, one of my best mates, Bradley, he was in the class with me, and I remember sat there, and I did a really long blink. And then as I opened my eyes and everything kind of tuned in, I heard him go, and that is the only thing you need to know to pass accounting. And I was like, (laughs) fuck, what do I do now? And um, I I did terrible. Um, I got, like, a grade E, uh, so... And my teacher actually congratulated me for not getting ungraded. That's, that's how bad I was at accounting. Wow. Um, so he was like, "It's like well done, you didn't like get zero. And he wasn't being patronizing. He was genuinely, like, actually stoked that I didn't get ungraded. And um, so I was like, can't do accounting. And then I was like, okay. Then going into my second year, you know, I had issues with my girlfriend. It was around the time my dad got ill. And then I was also, you know, finding college really, really difficult. I started to drink and obviously hormones and things, as well as all the social things pile on top of you, as well as, I didn't know what I wanted to do with the career. So I was just like, I don't know, religious studies, because I find religion interesting.
1: That's fascinating.
0: Yeah, a a really, really interesting uh, thing. I mean, my teacher, this is, I had so many points in my life where, I mean, I'm glad because I'm now quite like self-reflective and introspective in a lot of ways, which I need to be, because I used to be such a dick, but he- Weren't we all assholes at one point in time? I mean, but I would punch my
1: 16-year-old self right in the mouth. Oh yeah, yeah I've yeah. said before, yeah. if,
0: I, if I met myself like, if I could go back in time and meet myself I would punch myself square in the face. No, I didn't get punched in the face enough as a kid. Like, that's my <laughs> biggest problem. It was just like I needed someone to knock me down a peg. I mean I happened it a couple of times, but definitely not as much as it should have happened. And I just remember, like, I was talking to my uh, my religious studies teacher and stuff, and I came up with this theory, which um, I can't remember what it was, but I was thinking about it. And I remember he stared blankly at me for a while and was like, I'm sure that makes a lot of sense, and you are definitely much smarter than I am. And then continue on with the lesson. This was with flood of students. And I was like, my teacher just told me I'm smarter than him. And I'm like, what was I then? 17. And I was like, well, I'm like halfway in the thing of kind of becoming introspective, but still not enough. And I was, I couldn't tell how to process that. And then I was getting like frustrated in class because I was like, why is this guy teaching me if he thinks I'm more intelligent than him and all these weird things. obviously he was just trying to be complimentary and just probably trying to move it swiftly on but like with me then I was like overthinking everything and I was like what's good oh my god and then I left college and I was like I have absolutely no idea what I want to do with myself <laughs> I mean fortunately now I work in insurance which um I'm like a motor claims handler but I work for like a broker so it's like businesses they have you know loads and loads of vehicles they have crashes and i review who's at fault i have to review road law and work out who's at fault speak to people who tell them that they're wrong and then have them yell at me but it's, it's a really good job i actually really like it but you know if i trying when i was young trying to figure out what i want to do the, the problem is with me is i don't i don't have one thing i'm really good at i mean i've always i've always been quite gifted at maths in general but i don't there's not like one thing that I've always been super passionate about. And there's never been that big thing. Like I was one of those kids that every day, if you asked me what my job was going to be, it would be something different every day. It's like, I want to be an astronaut. No, I want to be a scientist. No, I don't. I want to be a artist. Uh, No, I want to be an actor. No, you know what I mean? And it's just everywhere at once all the time. So you having that, uh, this is going to jump into a question. I don't just went into a big monologue, but um, the one thing that I think is like a lot of people though, now that I'm older and I look at it, I go, it's actually fine to not know what you want to do. I think one of the biggest problems with kids these days is they look up to adults and see, for lack of a better word, they've got their shit together. And you're like, really, most adults, myself included, we we know how to do most things okay, and we just keep doing them okay. And like, when you want to have a career, it's like, I just try things, and if I like that, I try other things similarly. So I want to ask, with you, uh, sort of being a teacher and things. So we'll get more to the details of you being a teacher as well. But sure, with your students and things, do you find sort of now with the internet being a thing and obviously so uh, such a different landscape of um, well of industry? Are there people now who are still like know exactly what they want to do? Is it a bit more sort of up in the air, and do they feel a lot more pressure of being trying to be famous and things like that?
1: Well, I think it so. So currently, I teach exclusively online. And so most of my students are what we call adult learners. I know mm-hmm. that's a, that term is touchy because if, <laughs> you're in, if you're at university in America, you're over 18, you're an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we say adult learners, we mean like non-traditional learners, yeah. folks who are uh, firefighters and police officers and ASL, American Sign Language interpreters. And they're coming back to get a bachelor's degree, a four-year degree. They have a two-year degree from a smaller college somewhere. So a lot, I have a lot of those folks. And so of course the majority of my students currently definitely don't because they are 35 or 50 or, or whatever coming back. I had one student who was in his nineties come back. Yeah. He was a pretty cool guy. Um, So you just never know. Um, I, but my kids, so my kids age, um, you know, the youngest is 19. And so I've got kids at different stages of college and you know, uh, the youngest one, actually, she's pretty much known sci- something science y. She's like a science savant almost. Like, scary. I don't know what she's talking about most of the time. <laughs> um, she's like, blah, blah, blah. And I just would stare at her mouth, moving. <laughs> Those are words, as long as you know what you are saying. Um, she's changed a little bit um, in the sciences, uh, but now she, she has a pretty good feeling. But I do think most people go in. Not having a clue. I think my experience is actually the unique experience, even for my generation, even for Xers. Um, my wife was an accountant, actually, and she's a librarian now. So she she did that. She was good with numbers. She uh, was an accountant and then um, went back in her 30s and got her Masters of Library and in Information Science, and now she's a librarian. Um, those two jobs are more similar than people, I think. Think they are, you know. There's there's a lot of organization and order and planning. Um, but you know, so even her, well into having children and being an adult, <laughs> was like, "I'm going to do something totally different." So I get, so I see it both ways. I think there is a lot of pressure to know, uh, and that's the problem. Is the pressure is figure yourself out, learn what you want to do when you're 15. Well, that's absurd. I wouldn't let my 15 year old self tell me what to do. My 15 year old self thought I'd be a high school English teacher. And that was just going to be that I was going to major in English and minor in history. And I was going to be that guy and, you know, be a coach or something. And I'm none of those things. Um, my minor was actually women's studies. Um, and it's interesting that you said religious studies for a minute, my minor was women's study or was uh, religious studies. Oh, okay. And uh, it was kind of actually through the religious studies, we it took a class called gender and biblical interpretation. Hmm. And the woman who taught it April DeConnick was her name. I remember that very clearly. Um, she, instead of like, she was a visiting professor, instead of teaching the regular thing, she was like, and we, d- we studied the Gnostic Gospels, which are right. the Gospels that weren't canonized. Right. So gospel according to James, gospel according to Mary, Mary Magdalene and James, Jesus's brother. Hmm. And we focused on like the women in those things. It was really fascinating. But then that counted as a women's studies degree. And I just, ca- or towards a women's studies minor. And I saw, well, I took this literature class and I took this into, um, interdisciplinary studies class and I took this literary theory class. So all of those actually added up to this women's studies minor. Um, and not only I had to take feminist theory and that was it. Um, and I was going to have that. So I just made that switch. So I think even though I knew I wanted to teach, I still changed along the way. Um, you know, I thought I'd be a high school teacher. And then I was like, well, I'll be a college teacher. And, and I wasn't even a full-time, full-time college professor with one, you know, working at one place until 17 years, I was a part-time teacher doing other jobs like construction work and retail and sales and anything that I could do to pay the bills. But I taught nonstop. You know, I would teach Mm -hmm. one semester. I teach one class and another semester I teach two and then uh, some, so, so even me, you know, as somebody who knew what I wanted to do when I was 12, that's changed. So I think the, that is a bad that's a bad bill of sale when you're told yeah. decide what you want to do at 15. You shouldn't.
0: Yeah. I, it's one of the things where I think there should be, like when I was in college, Um, for clarity to American listeners, college in England is the equivalent of high school over there and your college is our university, just in case right. when uh, – I'm obviously – that's going to be the only time I explain this in this podcast. So if people hear me talk about college and they think that – ages off yeah that's why Um, when I was in college everyone like all the the teachers and administrators and stuff like that it was all about this thing called the UCAS system it's getting points to get you into university basically and they would harp on about it so much, like all the time, and I was like, "I don't want to go to university." And they're like, "No, but you know okay, but you, you know, genuinely, what are you gonna you're going to do? You know, you're going to go to university, aren't you?" It's like, "No, no, I, I don't, I don't really want to." And they're like, "There were days specifically put aside at to for you to just do your UCAS forms." And I remember sitting in there with my arms crossed, and they were like, "You need to do it," and I was like, "You can't force me to do this," and I am refusing to because I know for absolute fact I don't want to be in education anymore because I'm just done with people who have more knowledge than me treating me like i'm less of a person not all teachers do that i want to clarify i had a lot of amazing teachers but there were teachers like there are people in every profession that you have an even tiny iota of power that basically go i'm a security guard i control who comes in and out of this place therefore i am better than everyone it's like no you know that was me when i was you know like 12 with a stick or something and it's like (laughs) i I didn't like that you
1: did that voice too
0: (laughs) This is it's what is a security though. guard sounds like. This is how security guards talk all the time. Yeah, I didn't get. Uh, I didn't know everybody's security guards clearly. <laughs> but, um, it, it's. I didn't. Everyone was pushing about university, and I was always scape saying to them, I was like, they're like, well, what do you want to do when you're older? And I was like, I do not know. That's why I can't commit to going to university. And in England, the year that my generation started going to university, uh, the government cut loads of funding to universities, so all of them put their prices up. So instead of it being averaging like three thousand pounds a year um which i think in american dollars now, i think yours is like 1.3 dollars to the pound ish so it's like a third. around and now it is now yeah. it is back then it was like one and a half so at that yeah. time it was like four and a half grand for you guys uh per year you normally go for three years and then plus you know if you live and you need to get more money from the government and stuff and then you pay back slowly over time um and stuff but like in my generation we were the first year for them to go nine grand So it would cost you the amount for three years in one year minimum. And then I was like, well, well, now I definitely don't know what I want to do. So now I've got potentially 27 plus grand of debt over my head with a decision. I don't know what I want to do with people putting pressure on me. And I was just like, I don't know. So, you know, I didn't. And I did an apprenticeship, which I'm really happy about. But it's one of those things where, yeah, I don't know how the solution would be. I don't know if you have an insight into this. But when you're young, you have to make, you know, what do you want to take when you're in high school, what do you want to take when you're in college, what do you want to take? That the sort of, you know, you have to do English, maths and science, I think, in most places, but you can choose the sort of other stuff, vocational things. It's like, they're quite big decisions, but they don't put enough emphasis on, you choose these, you should choose things you like, because then you know what you can do for long periods of time, rather than doing, this makes lots of money, or this will make you successful. If people told me that, I'd have just done, you know, I did psychology which is like a side thing psychology and media were my things of just these things are kind of fun i want to do these i did business and accounting for business and accounting you know my job and then i enjoyed media and psychology infinitely more and now i'm like if i'd have if someone had said to me a little bit more you know oh do something you enjoy and then within that you can take elements out of what you enjoy of these things and get a job that is financially viable and realistic with elements you like and you can keep hobbies going but they never really did that with me very much you know what i mean yeah. No, and I think, I think there is, um,
1: unfortunately, so there's, there's this pressure of success and, and the high schools are measured in, in our country, at least, uh, based on standardized tests. And, and so how the people do on the stand, how the students do on those standardized tests matter. So then you teach to the test, the kids do really well on the test, but then they're really good at tests taking, and they're not really Soon good at like problem yeah. solving. Um, so no, I'm a firm believer that I think going straight into college, university, right after high school is a good idea. If you know, even if you don't know what you want to do, if you go in and treat your first year as just what you described, because the liberal arts are, if you go to a liberal arts school, and obviously if you don't know what you want to do, don't go to an engineering school because that's where they t- train engineers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, and I actually know people whose kids go to engineering schools and they start right out of high school, three years, and they're, you know, they're going to, be raking in the money, but they also knew they wanted to be engineers, and uh, you know. You, so, so I think the liberal arts allow you the opportunity to try a little bit of everything. So, in my opinion, you go to if you're un, even if you're unsure, go to school for a year. Even if you just want to go to like a local community college that's inexpensive, and take a, take one of everything that you're going to need anyway. So, there's always going to be a core liberal arts requirements, which is usually like you said, you're going to take. Some sort of math, some sort of si- math. Sorry, British folks. We, we dropped the S. Uh, I read this fantastic book called The Mother Tongue, which is the difference between American English and British English. It's fantastic. It's written by an American who teaches English in England. Oh, wow. Fascinating. Um, There's a whole discussion about the S. There's a whole chapter on the S in math. It's fantastic. Um, so, But in, but you would take math, you would take science, like some sort of natural science maybe, or or even a biology You would take an English course, a literature course, and a writing course, and you would take a history course, and a religious studies course, and you just try all these things. They're all going to count towards graduation because, in most cases, a major—and this is what I don't think people really, really grapple with—like I said, I double majored in English, which means half of my classes at my undergrad, my four-year university, were English classes. Which means, as traditional major, it's only twenty-five percent. So, in theory you could not really declare your major until your senior year and take nothing but those classes and still graduate with that major. And the rest of the time, you could take four classes a term or five, depending on how many credit hours you needed and anything you wanted and figure it out. You don't have to declare right away. So, so I think the answer is letting people know it's okay to not know, it's okay to be undecided. Um, and it's also okay to say, I'm gonna take a year or two off. But I think if you're gonna take the year or two off, you should do something hmm. you should have a plan i don't think the idea of i'm going to take a year or two off and live in your spare room mom and dad is the best idea <laughs>
0: 100% every game that i know <laughs> <laughs> just yeah i'm going to get every achievement on fallout and i'm going to get the top of the leaderboards of call of duty <laughs> and then i'm going to go to school it's like right. yeah
1: yeah no although interestingly enough the university where i teach has um, we have esports we have scholarship athletes who play video games
0: well, League—I think it's League of Legends and a uh, Fortnite. A couple of those games, you can make basically as much money winning those things as you can for a lot of like major league things. And I—I I, yeah. I say that Jets, I like video games a lot. Like it's—it's it's just one of those things. I mean, I think it's really good for you know uh, helping hand out coordination, problem-solving, etc., etc. But with everything in life, it's—it's it's good to vary. You know, if you love sure. basketball, you can play basketball every second of every day, and that's cool. You can do that, but you—you you won't really be able to talk to many people or do much else just it's almost like you said with a major thing that's yeah. it's a really good uh parallel of what you should do with your life like you can spend the majority of your time doing something but majority if every part of what you want to do if you've got like one uh, percent of everything and you just spend five of those percent doing one thing that's still a majority of everything else is equal so it's what, yeah. you said, what you said about major it's a really good way of putting it
1: yeah and i think that's what we think we think oh i'm an english major i'm a accounting major well th- we call it the major meaning it's, it's not majority. It's, it's, it's um, not, it's a plurality hmm. if we, it, it, but you don't say, well, I'm, a, I'm taking a plurality in accounting. <laughs> that sounds insane to say that, but that's the, that's what you're doing. 25% of your classes are accounting classes and 75% of your classes are not accounting classes. And um, that's how you figure out what you want to do, because you'll have taken that one accounting class your freshman year and been like, man, I really did like that. I can look at my schedule and say, well, I've got 30 elective credits. So I'm going to take accounting two just to see And if I don't like it, doesn't matter. It still counts towards graduation. And so uh, there's a book actually that I'm going to be using in one of the classes I teach. I'm using it right now in a class I teach. It's called range by a guy called David Epstein. And it is, uh, it is like exactly God. what you're saying. It's, uh, it starts with the story between, uh, Roger Fed of uh, the story about Roger Federer and Tiger Woods mm-hmm. and how, um, here's a tiger was playing golf since he was four golf 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 greatest golfer in the world roger played tennis and played soccer and football and did all these other things and um his mom was actually a tennis coach and wouldn't coach him you know and it was like and then you know he's the greatest of all time and so yeah. the pass they took and who's happier who when you look on the surface who's addicted to painkillers and who seems <laughs> like he's having a pretty good Go of things. You you know, and not to suggest that the reason Tiger Woods is addicted, you know, had the painkiller issue was, but when you only play golf since four, you're going to have a bad back by the time you're 30.
0: Mm, Yeah, exactly. It's
1: all you've done. It's not, you know, there's that's, it's, you're literally using that same muscle all day, every day. Where Roger, and so that's the beginning of the book. And it goes through this whole process of how being a generalist, that's the premise of the book, is better than being a specialist. And I feel to me, uh, liberal arts, I teach at a liberal arts university, that's the way to go. Do I think engineering schools should exist? 100%. Do I think there are people who shouldn't go to school? Yes. Um, I don't think college is for everyone. And I don't mean that in a condescending way. I think college is a waste of time. If you don't want to go, don't go. That mm-hmm. is that is a surefire way that you're going to not graduate and you're going to end up with mountains of debt with no degree. And see, I think that's the problem is you find you hear these horror stories in our country. And I don't know how it works there but most universities here you end up taking out a bunch of student loans that are federally backed and then people are like oh people come out with $100,000 in student loan debt and they can't they don't have the job to pay them back but if you actually look at that data closer and look at people who graduate they're in a better shape they graduate they have a degree they have a specialty specialty a liberal arts specialty. You know, I'm an English major, but I've taken all these other classes. You're an accountant, but you've taken all these other classes. So you can succeed in the world. Um, A friend of mine's daughter is a film producer, and I think she had an anthropology degree.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah.
1: You know, because she figured stuff out. Having a liberal arts degree, she figured out how to be a film producer. Because being a film producer, you're doing a little bit of everything. You know, you got to make all these people happy and order craft services and get the actors to the set and all this other stuff. So, um, I, I'm a firm believer that school, college is not for everyone, but it is definitely worth a go. And and the opportunities that you have there to experience if you go in open-minded like that and say, I'm going to try to figure myself out. But if you don't want to go and you know you want to do something else, you should absolutely do that. You know, yeah. I, it's it's frustrating to me. And I actually get a lot of pushback because I teach liberal arts classes um, that aren't English classes. They're literally called liberal arts studies. And people are like, this class is bullshit and you're just here to steal my money. I'm here to make you read this book range so you can figure out why it's good to know a little bit of everything.
0: Yeah, well, it's one of those things which I've kind of, um, as I got older, kind of linking in with the turning point in my life. Um, it's an anchor point. And anyone who listens to the podcast will know. And a lot of people who just know me know this comes up quite a lot. But, you know, my dad passed away when I was 19 and he was ill. So it was cancer uh, yeah, 18 months before that. So I was in college when he got ill. And it's like... That alone wasn't just the perspective changer. I've had friends who've, uh, you know, tried to commit suicide and, you know, certain ones I've been involved with more than others of helping them come back from the brink and this, that, and the other. So I had a lot of time for me thinking I'm up on this pedestal looking down on everyone to realising... How about instead of looking down on everyone, I can kind of try and bring people up a little bit? And I kind of had that realization and this thing of like, I've got all this privilege essentially. I, I was never poor as a kid and obviously I'm a, you know, straight white male in England in, you know, as a millennial. It's it's you know, as history goes, I've had an easy, fairly run of of, you know, there's some of the bigger things, you know, rights and stuff like that. But like One thing that was the biggest turning point in my life, um, I used to be really fussy eater as well, was just being like, oh, I hate all that food okay, but will not you just try it? Even the thinking that you hate it before you kind of try it. And it was like, no, but I know I'm going to hate it. It's like, okay, that's fine. But you don't until you, you do it. And there's so <laughs> many things that people do that they think, I'm going to hate that. Oh, I hate uh, nerdy things. I'm never going to watch Star Wars. Or I hate, uh, you know, I hate fantasy and Lord of the Rings. I'm never going to watch Game of Thrones. I hate video games because I are like Call of Duty. And all these, you, you make these big, I mean, I'm guilty of it myself, of everyone is, you know, but it's like when I kind of went, you know what, I'm just going to try stuff and just, you know if you 99% of the time you can try something and even if you don't like it you you can reverse it like you know I mean tattoo is one of the only things I can think of which you can't but if you get a really small tattoo somewhere no one can see you get it you're like tattoos aren't for me then no one ever really has to know and no one really cares you know and it's what with music I'm always willing to try to listen to new music because you never know when you're going to find a gem you it. and what people what you're saying about college is very uh, interesting perspective I hadn't not fully considered really which was if you just go for a year you're gonna have some and you you decide to leave you are gonna have some sort of uh you'll be in credit you'll be in debt into some degree but at least if you go and you spend the year at college and you're like oh no this is definitely what i don't want to do that's that's life experience that's that's something you wouldn't have got if you'd have just gone and worked you know at target or walmart or something if you just did that for a year you'd probably go oh i hate people and i hate working in a place that everyone treats me like crap but like apart from that it's like you don't learn quite as much but you know having jobs you're going to college and also having a job and you know there's this whole thing as well which is like Everyone wants their kids to have a better life than, than they've lived, you know, both in financial sense, when it comes to rights, technology, medical science, everything. But also, you don't want to raise a kid who's never had to struggle. So you right. have to have the right amount of struggle in the right ways or the right amount of challenges more so better than to struggle uh, because then that develops character. You know, I, I've said this several times before, you know, struggle breeds character. And it's always pleasant. Some of the most horrendous stuff that happens to someone changes them for the better and that doesn't mean yeah let's go around and do horrible stuff to people because it would make them a better person it's more so if you're willing to take the plunge and you're willing to do something like college and you're worried about the things if you're really really sure you're not you're not gonna like it like a hundred percent it's nothing gonna tick in my boxes then don't force yourself but like most things people aren't a hundred percent on so it's worth just trying you know
1: yeah and i feel and that's the thing i feel like um it is worth trying and 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 again i don't I don't know the process there, but so we have different tiers of tiers of of universities. Um, So there's community college, which are generally, there's a ton around. Um, They're gonna be two years. Sometimes they will be four years. A lot of times there's professional degrees. So oddly enough, Um, nursing, which I think is one of the hardest degrees in the world, is a two-year degree, which blows my mind that they can learn that much stuff and how gifted a nurse is in two years. It makes my head explode to think. Nurses
0: are one of the most underrated jobs. Unbelievable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then we actually at my university, which is a small liberal arts private university called Siena Heights University, and um, we have an RN to BSN. So we get our RN students to come back and then they get a... BSN. and now we're having a Master of Science in Nurturing for people who want to go on and teach, because you have to have at least a master's degree, two years post-bachelor's to be able to teach and at a university in, in America. So, but you know, so but most community colleges they'll have um associate of arts or associates of science. And so you could get an associate's in accounting. A lot of times you just take classes and that with the idea that you're gonna transfer um to that's where a lot of our uh, students at Siena Heights come from we have agreements with local community colleges around where we are in Michigan um, Where the student from the local community college will will do two or three years there And then they'll transfer to us and finish the degree and and the price point because the, a lot of the community colleges are public So they're really low. You could take a class for you know 700 bucks or less per class for three credits And so you can get it, you can, you know, that's worth just trying. And if you are 100% unsure, just go take one class, pay cash, you're working, just go say, I'm going to go take a writing class. I'm going to go take a literature class. I'm going to take history of, I don't know anything about European history. So I'm going to take a European history class. And then you could, you could piecemeal your way through that, paying cash along the way. And then after a year or two, and you are like, wow, I've got 30 credits. And I didn't even, I was just having fun. Now I could go. Um, I think it's worth doing. I don't necessarily think um, you should just go just because it's what your everybody you know has done, hmm. um, you know. And and I and I'm the first person, you know. Who, I went to university. I have I have multiple degrees. I'm finishing up another one now. And uh, I would tell people all the time, like this: this is not for everybody. If you don't want to go, absolutely, you're right. I think it's worth trying. I think, and if you don't try, then at least be curious. The thing that frustrates me and my colleagues, I think the most is when students are not curious hmm. and they come in. So you're, you've, it's not compulsory. Like it, here you have to go, it's legally, you have to go to high school till you're 16. Um, most people graduate or at least, you know, get a GED and get, get that because that's without that, it really hurts your chances of getting a job anywhere without at least a GED uh, graduate equivalency degree it's called. But, you know, so, you do those things and, and, you know, you're choosing to be at school and then you're complaining about the assignment that gets frustrating to me. Because it's like, you're, you're, you've made the choice to come. Like you, you want to be here. So if you're not naturally curious, why are you here? That's, that's hmm. the only frustration I think I have with my job from my students. I love my job is when they are like really mad about some assignment I gave them and think it's, I'm being capricious. And I was like, it may seem that way to you, but you, Chose to come here, so I have to do a good job. If I'm if I'm flippant about it and be like, oh we're just a degree mill. Come and pay your, you know, three thousand dollars for your class, and you'll get an A." Well, that's not okay.
0: No, you don't get anything. You don't learn from that in a literal sense. But what you said there uh, about the curiosity thing is is yeah. that's one of my biggest bugbears because I don't actually believe anymore um, that there are stupid people anymore. I, I don't. What I feel about it is. There are people who are uh more they have better abilities in a standard cognitive sense. You know, some people are a bit better at math, some people are better at spelling, etc. But if anyone genuinely wants to try hard, even if they're a low achieving in academia, if, if they try really hard at things, they are going to get places. You can learn, you can get better. It just depends on how much work you have to put in from the start as opposed to uh, you know, not being able to do it. And I think People, you know, I don't meet stupid people anymore. I meet two kinds of people. I meet people who are curious and passionate people. And I meet people who are complacent and, for lack of a better word, ignorant. I just feel, you know, if you want to learn, you. I know people who are like re, really, really, they may not know, you know, Information about the solar system, or may not be able to, you know, read off, you know, loads of really big words or anything. But because they've got that curiosity, if they go somewhere that's interesting to them, or they have this little passion, this this gleam in their eye, which is my favourite thing about humans, uh, I'd say in the whole world, is when you talk to someone about something and they're passionate, and you see their eyes light up, and they get excited talking about it, and they're kind of, you know. I love that. And, and that's curiosity. That's that part, that's a human curiosity, that part of you that's like, let's just find stuff out. When you let a toddler loose anywhere, they'll just run in any direction. And that's yeah. what I love about it. You know?
1: I do. And and I feel, see, I tell my students that all the time. So well, I don't know what to write a persuasive essay about. I don't know what to write an information essay about. Well, I always say, well, what do you like? If that's that's the first conversation I'll ever have with the student um, whether I'm meeting them on ground or because I teach online, I'll have phone calls with them. Um, you know, a students struggling with something, I'll just say, Hey, we should talk or, or even if it's just like, I'm really struggling with this topic. I don't know what to write about. Well, let's, I'll ring them up. Let's just chat. And I find out that person's, you know, that person may be a sign language interpreter, um, which is a really high skilled, unique job and the person loves it, but there's not, you're not going to try to persuade someone to do that, but through just having a conversation, I find out that that person is also a volunteer at you know at the local homeless shelter. Well, there is your thing. That's the thing you cared about, and then and and I always say, if you care, the audience will care, and if you don't care, the audience will not care. If you write a paper, it's perfunctory. I have to write a paper about you know the homeless population in Mid Michigan, so I'm going to write that paper. Well, you know. That's gonna sound like that. It's gonna sound like a robot. But if you care and you're like, these are things that you can do and here's something that you should do and I'm persuading you to get involved to help the homeless population in Michigan and this is what you should, then that's a good paper. It's going to write itself. You're absolutely right. That passion, I think passion trumps almost anything. If you're passionate about something, you can convince people to believe it. Other than you mentioned earlier, you're not a big sports fan. That's the only place that passion, like passion's on full display. But you're not going to convince someone who is born and raised to be, you know, we talked about Chris and Dave, one of them likes what, Man U and the other one likes Liverpool. They're not going to convince each other to like the other team. No. That's not going to happen. That's where passion is different, where you're a fanatic. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to, as to being passionate. So I think that is absolutely right. And you can tell that's what the thing about this show um, I will toot your horn. If you have a horn <laughs> sound effects, you can put in later. I could, I could do um, it with my mouth. Uh, <laughs> that, that's what we were talking about before the show, though. You are genuine. I mean, your name of your show is spot on. You're genuinely interested to just talk to anybody. And you have no idea where the conversation's going to go. That guy, Goff, that filmmaker, like mm. pretty fascinating talks. No idea about any of that stuff until I listened to it, but because he cared and you let him talk about it, it was good for me to listen to. And, you know, now I know he exists, and I wouldn't have otherwise.
0: Yeah, it, it, I mean, he he reached out to me um, because well, well, he reached out to me. He there's another podcast that I uh, I know. Um, I I think. It's either... I always get the two confused. It's either American Slacker or it's Two Dudes on a Porch. Uh, both are great podcasts, but he was... <laughs> he was a, oh no,
1: I'll have to check them out. Great names.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's he was he was on uh, one of them um, and then they hit me up and said, oh, I've got this guy, his name's Goff, he's a filmmaker, you, know, you have loads of cool people on your show, I wonder if you'd want to chat with him. And I went, yeah, sure. I mean, and then I heard he's a blind Australian filmmaker. I was like... Why do you even have to ask me? Well, yeah. A, of a filmmaker who's blind. Like that that's literally probably one of the most interesting people on the whole planet. Like and you hear him talk and he's like a super funny normal guy and it's like it's obviously one would assume that he is a normal guy because just because you're you're blind doesn't mean you're not normal but it's it's really nice to just if you have a chat with him if, if you don't mention if I didn't say that he's blind and obviously stuff except for the subjects where we specifically talk about him being blind you wouldn't know. And Right you find out all these other things he's super passionate about, you know, and you talk, we were talking about like Book of Mormon in one of the most recent ones. We were just having a great time laughing about Book of Mormon and all this kind of great comedy. And it's like, it's, it's really great. Just, you know, even if I like talking to people on video chat because you can see them. And obviously it makes it a bit easier when I can tell someone wants to chime in and say something, etc. But like when it's only video, uh, when it's only audio, you can still hear it. You, you can still, and when I ask the right question and then you can kind of almost hear them take like a, their brain take a big X, like inhale. It's like, <gasps> Yes, blah, blah, blah. it's like yes. Yeah. That's what I love about it, you know. Yeah,
1: well, and it's funny too because one of the things that I because I'm totally online now and I've been totally online for seven years. I don't live in Michigan anymore, but I work there, hmm. and which is also amazing, by the way, <laughs> to be able to do because that's the best thing about the internet, right? Is that it makes the it has made the world smaller that way. We're talking; we wouldn't yeah. have met without the internet. Hundred um, percent. You know, and so, but one of the things that I like to do, so I these last three days, uh, my students had papers due. And because I knew I was doing this, it was really important to me that I could justify to myself, like, all right, I'm going to go spend a few hours talking to Mike. I got to make sure, you know, my students aren't left hanging. So um, what I do when I grade papers, I read them, I mark them up, I like highlight them in yellow or blue, whatever. And then I have a, a program called Snagit that I, I turn it on and they see their paper and they hear my voice. So I'm talking to them for five to 10, 12, however long I need, telling them what worked, what didn't work. I can circle it with my mouse. I can explain why you should try this. Don't forget we have this lecture. And then they hear that I'm involved, that I'm a person, because it's really easy to, to forget that. I've had, I've had students who live in Johannesburg. I've had students who live in New Zealand, in Hawaii. Um, And, you know, I'm based in Eastern time zone uh, in the U.S. And so when you have a student who's, you know, three hours behind you or eight hours behind you or 12 hours ahead of you, you know, I may not get to talk to them throughout the semester. But then hearing my voice, them knowing that I'm a person and that I care and that I'm not, you know, I'm not yawning my way through the video. (laughs) Uh, I don't script it. So sometimes I say, uh or I'll repeat myself. And at the end of each video, I usually try to remember what I said. Mm. But if it's a really long one, I may forget the summary at the end. And they hear me know that I'm a person trying to be communicative with them. And so I think that's that that personal connection. And then they know that I care about my job. And that's one of the, the biggest feedback things I get from the student reviews is that they can tell I care. Even if they hated my class, even if they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe advanced expository writing sucked that much. But Tony cared, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know that I wasn't I wasn't trying to fleece them in any way, shape or form. And that to me is is the most fun about the job is is getting those notes back like, wow, thanks for taking the time to make that video.
0: Well I want and- to ask about your, your sort of online course and things and um, sure. how how obviously this is a thing that um some of the other podcasters I, I listen to and things, um obviously Joe Regan's one of the big ones. Um he has had people on and they've spoken I think Brett Weinstein, I think he started doing it quite a lot because of the big controversy that happened with him. Um but I, I want to ask you, like when we were talking over email and you mentioned about you do only online courses now, like mm-hmm. how how did that how did that start and what kind of were your expectations of what it was going to be like and then obviously you say been seven years was it seven years totally yeah. online yeah totally. so how how long have you been doing like when did you start doing online how has it kind of changed from doing it and why did you like obviously the part you just mentioned is one of the reasons you love it so much but why have you kind of shifted more of your effort into keeping online as opposed to lecturing in person and things
1: sure well so so when i first started you know the internet was was just a baby and uh when I was when I was in college as an undergrad, the internet it did exist, but it existed in America anyway for universities only. So um, we could connect to other people at different universities who had the internet. So um, I went to the small college called Albion. My cousin went to a school called Western Michigan University, which is in West Michigan. In there, <laughs> no spoiler alert there. Um, and he had emailed, so did I. So that was a cool thing we could. Send each other messages for free, and we didn't have computers in our room. We had to go to an old dial-up computer lab, and <laughs> it was that was how we did it. And the internet was slow, but it didn't matter. It was amazing. Um, and then from that time, so I graduated in '95, and I started teaching right away in a community college in '96. Between '96 and 2000, everything changed for universities. The you know the ac- access to the internet existed, and so. Uh, At that time, no one where I was working was thinking, let's put courses all the way online. But what you could do is you could, somebody misses a lecture, you could send them the notes via email, like before they came to class. They didn't have to solely rely on, uh, well, you should ask your friend, you know, who's sitting in class, get the notes from them. So I think it started that way. And then I'd say mid-aughts maybe, I started to teach hybrid. Um, There was a platform called Blackboard which still exists. I don't want to pretend it doesn't. Um, <laughs> we, I don't use it. That's not what the school that I work at. We don't use that. But but so Blackboard existed and it was, you know, Blackboard. And you could... So we started doing hybrid courses where um, that was mostly for space um, where the school wasn't big enough. So you would split a room. So we 10-week uh, semesters, odd weeks I'd get the room and even weeks somebody else would get the room. And then the other weeks we'd have online discussions and it would be they could submit their homework, but then you could also have online discussion boards where you'd ask the stuff that you would do in class, you would do online. So I I got trained and became online certified. Um, I'd say maybe as early as 2004. And then um, I started working at a full-time at a community college. And uh, they asked me to start create, because I had all that hybrid experience. They wanted me to teach some hybrids and then they wanted me to teach some online stuff. And in that time, uh, right around the time when I was leaving that other place where I work now, Siena Heights University hired me as an adjunct. And so an adjunct is essentially you teach the class at a discounted rate. You, all your only, your only responsibility is to teach. You don't have to advise. You don't have to go to meetings. You don't have to serve on committees. You show up, you teach, and you leave, and that's all you do. You're just there for the student. So I was adjuncting totally online there because um, our university has been doing online for a long time. We're actually nationally ranked um, uh, like in the top 25 by US News and World Report. And we're like, I think th-, and I'm gonna say this wrong and then I'll get in trouble, but <laughs> I think we're third in the country in student engagement, which to me is the best number. Mm-hmm. Um, the student, you know, If you're ranked really high in student engagement in, online, that means you have instructors who want the students to know that you're a people. Um, so, so that was the easy transition. Um, and then, uh, it was just, it's just kind of where we're going and there aren't a lot of instructors. There are more now, but at the time, 15 years ago, there weren't a lot of instructors who, who wanted to do it. They kept saying, no, no, no. If you're not in the classroom with the person, you're not going to reach that person. But introverts thrive online and extroverts don't notice. You've been in a classroom, you meet 3 hours a week, say. You've got 25 people in the room. You have 3 hours to be in the room. So that's to teach your lesson, give your lecture and have discussion. Of those 25 people, 8 of them are going to talk. The other, you know, the rest of the, the rest of them aren't going to say a word. And you've got 13 people who are like I don't even know if the teacher knows my name. Hmm. And but online you can't hide. Everybody's required to participate. Everyone's opinion matters. The, 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 the removal of that time frame is the great equalizer. So I require my students to post a certain number of times on a certain number of days. So it's three, three days, five times. So that essentially means I post a discussion question. They have to respond to that. That's one. And then on two other days, they have to go in and respond to me again in a follow-up and three of their classmates and engaged. And a lot of people will, I'll have students who'll post 20 times in a week. I respond to every student twice per week. So if I've got 20 students, I'm posting 40 times in that class every week. I, there's 0% chance I could have done that in a face-to-face classroom. So to me, the move to online has given me the part of what I love about teaching is that reaching that person, going back to that original story where the teacher knew what I needed I can figure out what the student needs because they have to write their discussions. I can see when they're struggling. I can email them and say, look, in discussion, you're not doing your citations or you're, you're not capitalizing. You're clearly not proofreading, take your time, whatever. And online on ground, I couldn't do those things. So I just think it's a different level of engagement. And because while I'm chatty, I really do like being by myself. I'm okay with that. Like I'm, I'm not, I was in a punk band in college. I'm not afraid to be in front of people. I could stand in front of a room and lecture, um, but I'm okay being alone. And so I think that's part of it too. Not everybody is. So it takes the right kind of person, but I feel my connection with my students, I know my students better now having never seen their faces than I think I did some having spent, you know, four, 30 hours with them in a, in a classroom somewhere.
0: And that's the end of part one. Thanks as always for tuning in, guys. Uh, part two will be released next week at the usual time on what, Sunday evenings for UK time. Um, so that'll be kind of like midday-ish, I guess, in America, depending on where you are. And other places in the world, I'm not going to go into detail. You can figure it out check out evenings of greenwich Mean meantime you'll have a vague idea when it comes out um but yeah so coming up um i haven't got any other ones actually recorded because i was meant to do one this week um with an individual who's involved with true crime podcast with a true crime podcast as you can tell i'm very very tired on doing this i'm absolutely exhausted uh, this weekend but um basically yeah uh i'm doing it again with them i'm, I'm doing it again i'm doing a podcast with them in a few a couple of weeks time because we had to reschedule i should have a chat lined up with someone like the day before like obviously next week part two of this will be out and then the following week when the next episode is meant to be aired. Uh, I'm meant to be chatting with someone the day before that, so that's probably going to be the next one to air. Um, but I don't know if, if that falls through in any way. I may do another solo pod. I may chat with my girlfriend Megan. I may try and make something else work. I, I don't really know. Um, I had load block book together and then... One or two fell out, and then not not I didn't fall out with them, and then they they we decided to reschedule and things like that and I've tried to kind of spread things out a little bit more because you know I've got quite a busy social life as well as what I want to do with my girlfriend in general life, you know holidays and living our lives, not just just working and doing a podcast, so it's at the moment, it's just, I'm just everywhere all at once, essentially, and I'm just absolutely shattered. So what's going to be coming up, I'm not fully sure. I haven't got loads recorded like I normally do, um, so we'll just kind of see where that goes. It's going to be a bit of a random few months. Uh, well, not a few months. I've got a few things like lined up that I am specifically excited about, like the one with the true crime podcaster, and there's like an author, and there's a few other interesting people that are going to be on the show. It, it's just that it's um, things are busy at the moment, I guess. Um, there's not really a huge amount else to report. I mean, I said before, you know, Tony, I got introduced to because he was a friend of the Comics in Motion podcast, and you know, I'm I'm friends with them as well. Um, they're really cool guys. So I I recommend checking out Comics in Motion, which is the promo. I recommend checking out VHS Strikes Back, which is Comics in Motion's the guys of Comics in Motion's other show. If you're a fan of Love Island, also they have a podcast called Love Island Cast, I think it is. Um, they do that and also. I think they do a podcast chat footy together. Or that that might just be one of them or the one of them sort of baby in a sense and the other one kind of guests on it occasionally. I can't fully remember, in all honesty. Um, they've so many goddamn podcasts, I mean if anyone's been listening uh, for a little while, there is my podcast I did with them a few episodes back where they talk about i mean the episodes of course are about i think the mysterious podcast graveyard i think i named the episode because for a good chunk of the podcast we're just talking about all the podcasts they had done and are doing and all that sort of stuff so it's it's pretty crazy all the things they've been up to but um apart from that i just say you know if you can like subscribe share all that sort of usual jazz because it really makes it worth it and it's time's up today where i it's a sunday night it's at 10 past 11 and i'm only just recording the outro to this because this weekend has just been so goddamn busy for me but yeah i'm not gonna go into all that sort of stuff so um you know thanks as always for listening guys be sure to like share subscribe all that sort of jazz on social media and whatnot i appreciate each and every one of you listening and i'll talk to all of you next week on part two is out